This is RV on Business. Welcome to 101.9 Chai FM. I'm really proud to welcome Harry Joffe, Head of Discovery Life Legal, to the show. Harry, welcome back to Chai FM. Harry, it's been a long time. Good to be back with you. Great. Harry, you know, I wish I could say I'm, I've invited you on simply because I wanted to have a theoretical chat and just chat about uh, wills and trusts and all that good stuff in general. But unfortunately, there is not a person that does not know somebody who in the last couple of months has not been devastated by COVID-19, by the coronavirus. And inevitably, somebody does not have their affairs in order. Their wills are not up to date. Their trusts have not been looked after correctly. And now they've really left a bit of a mess behind or a total disaster behind. And yet this stuff is easily avoidable if it's done now. And I just thought that while emotions are running high and while people are really concerned, let's take advantage of this negative scenario for the positive and let's revisit it. Let's encourage people to get their stuff up to date and to get their stuff in order so that, God forbid, should the inevitable happen, things are done and things are ready. So, Harry, let's jump straight into it. Is it necessary for somebody to have a will or is it just an expensive waste of time? Right, Avi, so I mean, uh, you've already raised the issue. Everyone knows we're in a pandemic. We've had a lot more people dying than ever before. I don't think anyone in the life insurance industry or in the estate planning industry has ever dealt with so many deaths and deceased estates. It's just absolutely you know, unprecedented. And the problem that this has caused is it's caused a double problem on both ends because, first of all, we've got more people dying than ever before. But on the other side, you've got the master's office which, let's be honest, had challenges before COVID. You know, now with COVID, they've got much more deaths to deal with. Their offices are being affected because their own staff have had COVID and they can't have as many people coming into their office. So, you know, added to that, you've got trouble with the deeds office and you can't transfer property so easily through estates. You've got a problem with municipal offices with rates and your appearance certificates. So estates are taking longer anyway. You know, even in a good scenario, if you've got your will and you've got your trust up to date, estates are taking longer. But how much worse is it if you don't have a valid will or an up-to-date will or a will? Because then, you know, let's look at it. If you die without a will today, who's your executor going to be? Well, no one knows. So the master has to appoint an executor, which obviously adds to delay. Then what about all your minor kids? There's no way to set up a trust for them because there's no will. So that money ends up in the Guardian's Fund in Pretoria, delay. You know, you can't have backup heirs. So what happens, and this, this has been, again, sadly very common, you know, heirs die together. So the husband and wife die within a couple of days of each other with COVID. Now, of course, they can't inherit from each other. And again, more delay if you don't have a proper and up-to-date will. So I think, Avi, the point is that a will doesn't have to be a huge expense because I'll talk to you now, of course, about a great discovery benefit if I'm allowed to, doesn't have to be a huge expense, but that's a separate issue. The point is if you don't have a valid will in these times and you die, there's a huge delay, there's a huge problem, and your family are not going to thank you. I can tell you. Um, Harry, am I correct in saying that by doing the will, what you're really doing is setting the foundation that sort of triggers all the other questions that need to be answered when it comes to planning one's financial scenario in total because the moment you sit down and the person is preparing it for you, ask those hard questions, 
all of a sudden you start thinking, well, maybe I don't have enough life insurance just to cover my liability. So if I should pass away, my wife now has to continue to service the bank and she doesn't have a career or sufficient income, et cetera, et cetera. So is it really important that when you do a will, you don't take a stencil, but you rather sit down with a professional and do it? I mean, yes. I mean, uh, me and you are both big soccer supporters. So a will is like your defense. You know, if you don't have a good defense, you're never going to win a game of soccer. If you don't have a will, you can't even start thinking about anything else. I mean, you can't even plan anything to do with your estate without a will. It is your first port of call to your basic start-off point. And it's a set of instructions as to who gets what, you know, who does what, where your assets go. And when you've done your will, then you can start branching out into how do I do my tax planning, how do I do my estate planning, how do I do my investment planning, do I need wills in separate countries, in separate jurisdictions? What about my offshore assets? What about my digital assets, which are huge in 2021? You know, how do I plan for that? So, yes, a will is your first port of call, definitely. So, Harry, I often find that there's a sort of lost generation, not a generation, a lost income group, so to speak, when it comes to wills, because the higher LSMs tend to get taken care of um, through their banks, through their, the networks that they have, but it's the average Joe who's really getting by month by month, providing for his or her family, putting things in place. And should they get plucked out of the scenario, as has happened so brutally over the last short while, they leave an absolute vacuum with no income, no ways of settling debt, et cetera, et cetera. And yet these are the people that sort of never felt that they could do a world because it was just too complicated, too expensive, too time-consuming. So let's maybe start at Wills 101. First thing is, do I have to mortgage my property to get a will? Right. I mean, no. So I'm unashamedly going to talk about a discovery product because it is very helpful in this current scenario. And to be fair, it's not only discovery that offers this. So through our preferred provider, we've got a trust company we partnered with, which is Absa Trust. And what they would do is they would draft your will for free. So they'll do a free will for you, but there is a condition, of course. Nothing in this world is ever free. <laughs> and the condition is that they will draft your will for you for free if they are the executor of your estate. What does that mean? Now, that means they will wind up your estate when you pass away. And, of course, they will charge an executor's fee, which is regulated by tariff and can be anything up to 3.5% plus VAT. Now, that might be quite expensive. You know, if you, some of your listeners, I'll be, I'm sure, have got 10 million rand plus estates, and that could add up to quite a big executive fee. So what we've done is we've actually got this very cheap and very unique product, which we call the estate preserver. About 120 rand a month, you can actually insure your executive fees. So if you die, after will wind up, but your executive fees will be paid off in full to them. Plus, this product will cover your conveyancing fees because people often forget, you know, when you die, you've got a property that needs to be transferred. Even though there's no transfer duty on property being transferred out of an estate, there's still conveyancing fees. You know, on a two or three million rand property, that can be about 42,000 rand in conveyancing fees. So this product will pay that. Plus, if you set up a trust to look after your minor kids, this product will cover that. So you can get APSA to do your will for free. They will obviously draft it properly. They've got a professional trusts department. And then you can take out this discovery product to cover your costs. If you don't want to buy a product, you're very welcome to go direct to APSA, say, do a will for me, 
You can be the executor, but I want to negotiate a fee for you. So you've got Fantastic. two different yeah. Great. Harry, let's take a quick break. And when I come back, what I want to discuss is co-executorship. If a cousin, friend, brother, uncle is in the world's business, can they be a co-executor with APSA? Let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a moment. This is RV on Business. Back to the line. We've got Harry Joffe, who's the head of legal at Discovery Life. And we're talking wolves in general. And we now I just asked before the break, Harry, what happens if someone says, I don't know APSA. It's, it's almost an impersonal um, individual. I understand that it's a corporate and their function is just to get the job done. But I would like a family member or somebody that I love and trust to be involved. Can you have a co-executor, so to speak? Yes, I mean, and it's a good idea because, um, to be honest, you want your family to know what's going on. You know, you want them part of the process. So apps are quite happy for a co-executor to be appointed. Obviously, the co-executor won't charge any fees. So the fee will go to APSA for winding up, but the co-executor will be in the know. They'll be signing documents. They'll be told what's going on, and they can ensure that, you know, the family are kept up to date with, with process. You know, Harry, something that I've often heard, I sometimes checked with you if it's practically true, by having a co-executor, should APSA, for example, need a document or need something, and the co-executor is a member of the family or close to the family, the ability to access that document or to get something is so much easier rather than the bank calling, asking permission, coming around, asking for the co-executor can almost run like as a gopher and get stuff sorted out. Correct. I mean, if you're lucky enough to have a family member who will do that for free, I think <laughs> <laughs> it's a very rare family member. Treasure them and treat them like gold. But I agree with you. I mean, if there's a family member there who is willing to do the job, it makes it much easier because APSA will have to send an email if I can't get there, you know, just delay, delay, delay again. If there's a family member there, can only expedite matters. Great. Jerome wants to know, can the executor or the co-executor also be a beneficiary on the wall? Right. So... Yes, now you always start getting into tricky issues. There's nothing wrong with an executive being a beneficiary. But this is where Jerome is asking a good question. Someone who signs as a witness on the will cannot be a beneficiary. So the executive can be a beneficiary because very often, you know, you'll nominate your husband or wife to be the executive and they'll be a beneficiary as well. So that's fine. But they cannot sign as a witness. There's a strict provision in the Wills Act that you cannot have a witness who's a beneficiary as well. And I must be honest, I'd be um, glad Jerome raised that. Um, we had a lot of trouble during the first lockdown. Remember the very first lockdown in March where it was a proper lockdown and you couldn't see strangers and you couldn't see people. And a lot of people were saying to me, we want to sign our will, but everyone in my house is a beneficiary. Who's going to witness this thing? You know, we had some funny cases where I said to them, go to your fence, obviously wear a mask, and pass it over the fence to your neighbor. Let them sign as a witness in your presence and give the will back to you. Because that was the only way you could do it. But, uh, yeah, so Jerome, you don't need to worry. Your executor can be a beneficiary. Just say you mustn't sign as a witness. That's the prohibition. Harry, I'm laughing because obviously you've got a lot of clients out on the other side of Ferenichen or Clarkstorp because in Joburg there's no fences anymore. You've got to sort of put it, uh, I don't know, and fly it with a drone over a 10-foot wall to get it to the neighbor. But no, everyone's fence on the side broken, Abby. Everyone's <laughs> Got holes in because of they haven't had maintenance done for the last two years. <laughs> that could be, but um, you've obviously raised a point here because there's two or three SMSs coming through with exactly the same question. 
Um, one person simply says, I was told to ask my domestic worker to sign as witness. The lady is barely literate and had no idea what she was signing. Is this a legal witness? Yes. As long as they're over the age, they can sign as a witness. They don't have to really check what's in the will. They're just witnessing. All they're doing is they're witnessing that you have signed that will. So that's oh. all. They don't have to okay. talk about the contents at all. Okay, interesting how that raised a whole lot of questions because quite a few SMSs came through about exactly that. Okay, so maybe what we need to do is because there seems to be a quite a lot of fear about the unknown costs that happen when you pass away. So let's quickly go through it. You mentioned, just to read the list I wrote, there's executive fees, which is the fee that you would pay Absel or whoever else your your will provider is. There's conveyancing fees, which are the lawyers who would help to transfer the property, even though there wouldn't be a tax, a convey, a, a transfer duty. And if you're setting right. up a trust, there are, there are trust fees to do that. And those can run into quite a bit of money. The product that you're talking about, how do we know at this point what the, those fees will be at the end point? When the, when number one, we don't know what the end point is. And we don't know how the assets are going to change. Okay, great question, Abby. So how product works is we try to make it simple. Because as you said, wills, you know, people are scared of doing a will. It's like kind of you're venturing into that unknown. You don't want to talk about your death anyway. Now, to start doing all this, comp- it's a bit like going to the dentist. It's not something you want to do. <laughs> so, I mean, I love my dentist. But, uh, you know, it's not something that you, that you rush off to. So what we do is it's very simple. You look. Our product looks at the value of your estate. So say your estate is 10 million rand. You take cover for an estate asset size of 10 million. And then in the back end, we do all the calculations for you. And as long as when you die, your estate is 10 million, all your costs are taken care of. So in other words, the the onus is on you if your estate increases um, beyond that figure to let the insurance company know so they can adjust things accordingly. Right, but we go a step further because obviously your state is going to grow, we assume, by inflation. So the product every year will automatically grow by inflation. So if you insure back for 10 million, you know, year one, it'll be 10 million and 50 kind of thing. And every year it automatically grows by inflation. But if you, you know, like you, Abby, you're lucky enough to be running a thriving business and growing rapidly, then every year you want to, just like you do with your life cover, you know, you want to check, is it uh, sufficient? Do I need to update it? And just to say, if you'll find that, you know, when you die, let's say you're insured for 10 million and your estate is 11 million when you die, we still cover you, but we only cover you proportionally. We'll cover you for 10 over 11 times the actual fee because you were short insured, but like the short term insurance scenario. Okay. So that you upgrade and update. Great. So what, what the questions that are coming through now, Simon wants to know, what's the difference between this product and a normal life insurance product? Should I not just increase my life insurance to cover these events? Great question. I mean, I think your viewers are very sharp today. I can tell you, you've obviously briefed them a little time I've been away. So, yeah, I mean, it's a very valid question. I'll tell you the difference is that this product, because you're not taking life cover per se, you're taking indemnity cover. So we are looking at your estate size and we're paying APSA that fee. And obviously, in the background, we've got our own discounts of the APSA. We're not paying them 3.5%, I'll be very honest. So this product is a lot cheaper than normal life cover. You know, so you're not going to pay okay, so, those rates, number one. 
And number two, I mean, it's a very simple process because it's kind of an end-to-end. Now, if you take life cover, fine, you've got a life policy, but now who does your will, et cetera, et cetera. If you take this product, you get absolutely to do your will for free. You get absolutely to be the executor. You get the fees fully paid. And, and this is something else I wanted to come on to. I was waiting for you to ask a question. You get a storage of the will benefit as well. Because very importantly, you know, if you die, now no one can find the will. And I can tell you it's a big issue in South Africa. We've had so many court cases where people have been dying and they're just, there's no will to be found. It's lost or it's stored somewhere. No one knows where it is. What APSA do is they offer you a will storage facility. So you can give them your original will. They store it in a fireproof, bombproof, floodproof, everything-proof safe. Their fee they charge is 115 rand a year. Now, if you come through Discovery and you take our product, you get your first year storage free. And then in later years, if you're on Vitality, you get those storage fees back if you're at the right level. So again, I, I mean, I take Simon's point. You could take Life Color, but this is so much more targeted. It's cheaper and it's more end-to-end. It gives you the full solution rather than just a bit of Life Color. And the way I also view it is that, you know, Life Cover is often, I like to think of it as silos for certain issues. And if you know that these issues are taken care of, that you don't need to worry about them and there's a, a small premium, a small fee to pay for it. And long as I've updated it and I've kept my assets in line, I'm good to go. I don't need to worry about it. Um, Harry, as I mentioned to you earlier, I think we've dealt with uh, the, the, the individual who, are, you know, sort of sidestepped the wall because it just really wasn't in his face. But we're getting quite a few questions coming through about from people who say, I, I, this guy says, I live overseas in, in the States. I have a property in Israel and I have a business in South Africa. Do I need multiple wills or can I use just one will that I have that is already 15 years old in South Africa? Right. So again, Abby, I mean, that's another question, which I love. I mean, your viewers are really sharp today. So, <clears throat> sorry, you've got to take a call. If you have South African assets primarily and you've got one simple asset offshore, like a bank account in London, for example, then you wouldn't need a separate will in the UK just for that bank account. That would be a waste. Because let me tell you, these offshore wills are not cheap. You know, we get spoiled in South Africa. Everything is cheap and simple. In the UK, you're looking at £400 for a will, which is a fair amount of money. But if you've got more complex uh, assets, so you don't, you don't have just have a bank account. As your caller said, he's got a business. Or you own a property. Property is a particular problem because property... I'm going to throw a nice Latin word at you just to show that I did study law at varsity. <laughs> lex Satis. What does Lex Satis mean? The law where the asset is. So if you've got a property in America, you know, and you die, they will apply American law because that's where the property is. And it's no good then having a South African will trying to regulate American law because you could find the two contradict or clash or aren't the same. So what I say to clients is one of three things. Number one, if you've got any fixed property overseas, then you must have a foreign will because that fixed property will go according to those laws of that country. Number two, if you've got more complex assets overseas, like share portfolios or you know those kind of investments, complex investments, structured funds, then you should consider a will overseas as well because that is not so simple just to transfer with the South African will. If you've got very simple assets overseas, a unit trust, 
or a bank account, then I wouldn't do a separate will for that. The other point, Ali, which is very important, you've got to be very aware of the jurisdiction where your assets are. So, you know, if you're in Europe, for example, European law is messy and complex. They apply Napoleonic law from the 1800s, forced airship, and you could have very complicated, unintended consequences if you don't do a separate will in Europe. The UK is more similar to us, but again, you might want a separate will there because of executors that you need to appoint and things like that. So it's horses for courses, but in the main, to answer your, <coughs> your caller, he should have a separate will. He's got a business, he's got a property, he should definitely have a separate foreign will. Harry, just something that I'd like to throw in. Does the language of the will, um, is it important if it's a foreign will? Now, I, I take it the UK, um, the, uh, the States, English is the main language. You go into Europe, you could have a, you know, businesses in different countries. You go to Israel, the language is Hebrew. Now with the UAE and all those countries opening up for business, Dubai has been open for business for many years. We know I think their main business language is, is English. Is the language of the world important? It is. And I mean, you raise a good point, Ivy, because, you know, in South Africa, we've got things like a usufruct or a fide commission or, you know, some other Afrikaans words we even sometimes use. You take that to France and they're not going to know what a usufruct is because they don't have that terminology. You take uh, Afrikaans will to, uh, to Israel and you try to get the, the Israelis there to understand Afrikaans. You know, you're going to have challenges. So it's a very valid point. It's language, it's terminology, it's customs, it's laws. There's so many things that are different, and that's why you've got to be so aware of that. Okay, fantastic. Um, let's um, sort of go back to the, the beginning, because I've just got one or two questions here coming through about beneficiaries. Um, one person raises the, unfortunately, the common but very sad scenario. My father passed away. He forgot to change the beneficiary in his will, it's still his ex-wife who is not my mother and he has left everything to her. What do we do? Okay. So I mean, it could be worse. It could be an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in a case. We had a case where a guy was passed away in his late eighties. So he lived a good full life. He had a policy, a life policy. It was over 40 years old. So it wasn't even with discovery. We were around. And in that policy, he nominated some strange woman as a beneficiary not his wife or anyone else. And when they checked, that was his old girlfriend from 45 years ago who he forgot to change. We hope he forgot to change. <laughs> Apparently <laughs> forgot to change. I don't think she's still his girlfriend anymore. But that's a problem. So, you know, with a will, we've got an interesting piece of law in our Wills Act, which says if you die within three months of a divorce, your ex-spouse cannot inherit from you. So, in effect, they give you three months to change your will. But if you die after three months and you've got your ex as the heir, tough, they will inherit. And Adi, that's so important. You need to update your will. So if you have a divorce, if you have a marriage, you know, if you have children or grandchildren, we all know the story of the poor old third child who was born a bit late and unfortunately dad forgot to change his will and now they cut out. I mean, it's the same problem. You need to update your will as your life changes. I mean, we had a very weird case. Uh, husband died. In his will, he said, I leave my house in Santa to my wife. By the time he died, they Santa retired to Stellenbosch. They're living in a cluster in Stellenbosch. Now, does she get the Stellenbosch cluster or not? Because he left in the Santa house. He obviously intended to leave in the cluster, but he didn't. 
And now we can't serve like a call. We have to go to court and then get a judge to determine it. And it's more cost and more delay. So it's so important. And your caller makes a great point. You know, wills has to be updated. People don't like doing it. But as soon as there's a divorce or a new marriage or a new child, they must update the will urgently. Harry, yeah, I don't know if it happens practically, but in theory, you know, let's say there is a case where a, a, a person gets married or he has two children and down the line he has another two children and he only has one will that only stipulates the first two children um, and he then passes away. Can the two children who were going to inherit solely go to court or go somewhere and say, the intention of our father was that all the children should inherit and change the will to their benefit of everyone? No. So in South Africa, our law is very strict. There must be a document. So if there's a document that evidences their intention, then you can go to court. And then a judge can say. So, for example, dad, before he died, writes a handwritten note, I intended to add in John and Fred as beneficiaries. I forgot. I'm very sorry. You know, you can go to court on that and try. Again, Abby, don't do this at home. You know, at home, you know, go and fix up your wall, change your wall, and you avoid the whole mess. But if you forget and you don't, our law is very strict. If you've got have some written document for the court to look at, if you've got no written document, tough, then there's nothing anyone can do. You know, you TV, on TV in America, you can have a video wall or a digital wall or a computer wall. Not in South Africa. We are old-fashioned, conservative, backward, but that's our law. Got to be a written will, signed, documented properly to be valid. Else it's not valid. But the beauty is the access to that will is easy. You don't need to jump through hoops of fire. We need to take a quick break, but when you come back, I just want to finish off by t- t- talking about um, guardians and guardianship because we've got a few questions about that. Craig, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Harry, we need to discuss um, um, guardians on walls and we also want to touch briefly on digital walls. So let's quickly discuss guardians. What is a guardian and who are they and how do they work? Right. So I think a guardian is someone who looks after minor children when the parents aren't around. Okay. Mom and dad, typically one of them dies, the other becomes a guardian by law, and they decide, you know, where the kids go to school, they look after the kids' money, they feed the kids, clothe them, they decide which soccer team the kids support, you know, all those good things. And that's a guardian's job. The problem is, of course, if mom and dad both die, then what happens? So in your will, you should be determining who the guardian is if mom and dad both die. So, you know, mom in her will was, will nominate, dad in his will will nominate. It should be the same person, obviously. And you then decide on the death of mother and father who takes over guardianship of the kids and who looks after them. It's a very important role because they manage the kids' money. So, you know, if mom dies and she's left an inheritance to the kids and typically it's left to the guardians to manage or to trust where the guardians are involved, it's a very, very important role. And it's not something you... And to take lightly, you know, a guardian, I always make the joke, but it's not a good joke, that you should talk to your guardian before you nominate them. Because the guardian might say, no, I don't want to look after your miserable kids for the rest of my life. I'd rather do something else. <laughs> so just make sure you talk to your guardian and get their buy-in before you nominate them in your will. Harold, what happens if practically that does happen? Person pass, or couple pass away, they've nominated Sister Jane as guardian. Sister Jane turns around and says, I'm a hippie living on a farm in the Karoo. The last thing I want to do is worry about kids. I don't want them. I love them, but I can't be a guardian. What happens then? 
Then again, delay. You've got to go to court and you've got to apply to court to appoint a guardian and the court will appoint someone. But of course, that's a slow and messy process. And who looks after the kids in the meantime? It's just a very bad solution. Fantastic. So again, the, the, the truth is that besides leaving a mess, if you don't do things correctly, you also leave a huge amount of delay. And those people you left behind are in limbo. Accounts are frozen. No one knows where anything is. No one can get access to the money. There can be 20 million rand in a life policy. But if it's going to the estate, you're not going to see that money for, I don't know how long, but at least a year if, if things aren't neat and tidy. So it's a scenario of water, water everywhere, but not a drop to drink. Harry, we have got six minutes and 38 seconds to go. Before we leave, talk to me about wills that are not on paper, digital wills, electronic wills. How does that all work? Right. So I wanted to talk more about digital assets because the digital wills are actually very simple. In South African law, it has to be written, it has to be signed, it has to be what we call a wet signature. So there's no room for digital wills at all. It's not like some of the other countries overseas. You have to have a paper-based original will. So that's straightforward. What gets more complex, Avi, is all the digital assets people now have. You know, the cryptocurrencies, the anything, your share trading account, which is all digital, your money account, which is now an app on your phone, you know, your loyalty miles, which is an app on your phone. What happens to all of that? And that gets very tricky. So cryptocurrency, for example, you want to leave that to your family. So it's very easy. In your will, you leave your cryptocurrency to your family. How do you leave them that passcode? How do you leave them that access code? You're not going to put it in your will because there's a security risk. You know, your family might read the will and they might help themselves before you die. We know what our beloved family are like. And uh, how do you actually do that? So you should have a secure password facility to store your passwords. I mean, all the trust companies like Apps have got these vaults where you can store your passwords electronically and securely. But you must make sure your family know, A, there is a Bitcoin that's coming to them, and B, how they can access the password. You know, I had a funny case. One of our clients wanted to leave his Bitcoin to his family, didn't trust anyone with his password. So I said to him, okay, there's only one way you're going to be able to leave this to, uh, uh, securely to your family, uh, to the password on the back of your arm. And then when they bring you down in the casket, they could have looked up your arm and they could see the password. He was a bit nervous about his mistress seeing his password as well, but that's a separate debate. We're not going to that. But uh, yeah, you've got to be careful with passwords. I mean, these things can get into the wrong hands and, uh, you know, it can disappear. Plus, so many of people don't actually mention their Bitcoin details in their will, and then they die, and the family don't even know they've got Bitcoin, or if they do, they don't know how to access it. You know, that's a serious problem. There's a case now floating around, Avi, with your life. Canadian individual started a Bitcoin fund, obviously in Canada, took $100 million worth of investments, all legit, properly registered. He went for a little holiday to India before COVID to relax. He unfortunately died in India, didn't leave the password or the keys to anyone. That $100 million is gone. No one can access it. No one can find it. They're all suing and going to court, but the courts can't help them because there's no passwords. So it's so important that our listeners think about passwords, think about key you know, keys and make sure the family can access them whilst these things can disappear. Harry, if I can just mix law and sport together, I know you'll love this. The, uh, the Nike swish says underneath it, just do it. And I think that is the motto that's come out of this uh, this interview and this discussion. Just do it. 
do your will, sit down, write it, try to get someone to assist you. If you're worried about a fee, please be in touch with me and I can point you in the right direction. But if you just call your bank, walk into your bank if it's possible these days and start somewhere, please get it done because tomorrow is too late. Today is the day it needs to be done and you need to do the responsible thing. And you've got a will and you haven't looked at it for more than 12 months. And no one, then you need to reread it. If no one knows where it is, you need to give it to them and or let them know where it is. And number two, please passwords, access codes, all that. Please make sure that everybody has them or that you know where you've left them. And just to put a stinger in the tail here, it's often the husband who worries about leaving this stuff for his wife. It's very infrequent that it's the other way around where the wife thinks, hold on, I have accounts. I have things that could benefit my family. Should I pass away? In many cases and not in all cases, they could be smaller. They could be less significant, but they are material. So it works both ways. Please make sure everyone knows. Harry, we're out of time as always. Thank you so much for coming on. I am nice to see you all warmly wrapped up there, well-branded. Just keep safe. And uh, thank you for just being there as a voice for the community, someone that everybody can turn to. And just wishing you and your family just a, a good yontif and a pleasant and safe year going forward. Thank you, Avi. Always a pleasure to be on the show. Always a pleasure to talk sport, walls, uh, estate planning. Happy to come back anytime. Thank you, Avi. Great. Good, good. Thank you, Harry. That was Harry Joffe, Head of Legal at Discovery Life. Thanks for chatting. Um, I will chat to you next week from a different location, a little bit closer to Harry next week. Um, uh, maybe I can stand at Harry's fence and we can have a chat next week. Good. Thanks for listening. Be well. Goodbye.